the book of Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. In as much then, as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. That through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. And for a few minutes this morning, I want to preach on this subject that we just sang about, the victor's crown. Would you set your Bible down or turn your app off? And would you ask God to speak to us and let the cross stand fresh in our minds today? Lord, thank you. Thank you so much, God, for what you have done and who you are. And Lord, this morning, our hearts are open to you, God, for you wear the victor's crown. And God, we are your sons and daughters, and we, we bask in that incredible wonder, oh God, that you would reconcile us to you through the wonder of the cross, oh Lord. Let that be afresh in our lives. Let us be strong and of good courage, God. For greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. So we will worship you, and so we will honor you. In the name of Jesus Christ, you're able to say amen. amen. God bless you. you. may be seated. Thank you for standing in worship. As Jesus made his way down the slopes of what often could be the muddy Jordan River, John's booming voice prophetically introduced him and his earthly ministry. John, if you would boomed out through that river bottom. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And indeed He was. He was the Lamb of God. But He was like no other Lamb. For He was not another sent by God, but He was God come Himself to reconcile all of humanity back to Himself. For Paul would tell the Corinthians that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. As the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, He was the suffering servant that Isaiah talked about in multiple passages, but in 52 verse 13 through 53 and verse 12. In that 52nd chapter, in the 14th verse, Isaiah, looking ahead to this suffering servant, the Lamb of God, said his face and his appearance would be so disfigured that he would not be recognized as a human. In 53 and 3, Isaiah said he would be despised, he would be rejected by humanity, and he would be acquainted with grief. This Lamb, this suffering servant, In verse 4, he said that he would carry the weight of our weaknesses and our sorrows. That he would be smitten by God for the sins of the world. In 53 and 5, he was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we 
are healed. In verse 6, God would lay on him all our iniquity. In verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. And he was led as a lamb to the slaughter. In verse 10, it would please God to crush him as an offering for our sins. In verse 12, because he poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many and he made intercession for the transgressors. So on that day, when John proclaimed him to be the Lamb of God, Jesus already knew full well what his mission was on this earth. He lived every day of his earthly ministry in the looming dark shadow of that approaching cross. For we see it throughout his ministry and even there in that final week. For at the Last Supper, he revealed even more clearly to his disciples what was about to happen. When Luke 22 and 9, he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, he took also the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. In the garden of Gethsemane, Luke tells us that the unimaginable pressure and agony of that looming cross caused him to sweat as it were great drops of blood as he prayed, Lord, let this cup pass. But nevertheless, Jesus pressed through and he prayed, not my will, but yours be done. Judas would betray him. A kangaroo court would sentence him to death. And if that was not insulting enough, they would spit in his face. They would beat him with their fists. They would slap him with their hands and they would mock him for who he was. He was hauled before Pilate to be executed by the Romans. Pilate would acquit him but then acquiesce to the mob screaming for Jesus to be crucified. And in the irony of the cross, what the mob demanded in hatred, Jesus would freely give in love. He was scourged or beaten by the Roman soldiers with a whip that had sharp bones and metal fragments attached to it, his body beaten beyond recognition. His body in trauma we cannot even understand. They would strip his tattered rags of clothing off of him and place upon him a scarlet robe across those open bloody wounds that he had just received. They would mock him and then they would craft this crown of thorns and they would place it on his disfigured head. They mockingly held him as the king of the Jews and then they too would spit on him and they would beat him over the head with a rod driving and crushing that crown of thorns into the skull of the Lamb of God. Ripping the robe off of his traumatized body, they led him bleeding up to Golgotha's hill where they nailed his hands and his feet to a cruel cross and crucified him around 9 o'clock in the morning. Sometime around noon though, as they mocked and as they watched and as they waited, the cosmos suddenly 
blacked out the stage as darkness covered the land for one hour and then two hours and then three hours. There was a darkness that covered all the land. And sometime just before that three o'clock hour, three words pierced the spine-chilling atmosphere of darkness. They were not the faint moan of defeat, nor were they the gasping whisper of a surrender. Instead, they were the triumphant roar of a victor. They were a roar that pierced the atmosphere like a siren breaking the silence of a steel night. It is finished. Not the last gasp of surrender, but a cry of triumph. Not the agony of defeat, but the thrill of victory. Three simple words. It is finished. And yet those words, those simple words succinctly capture the amazing paradox of the cross. Because Jesus was in fact the Lamb of God, that is clear. But He never was not the sovereign King. He was the Lion and He was the Lamb. He was the suffering servant who would take away the sins of the world. But He was also the conquering kingdom who had come to wage war. And He would forever defeat and He would forever disarm Satan and death forevermore. Oh, it is the wonder of the cross and God's infinite love for you and I. It was a brilliant plan to both save humanity from their sins and crush Satan in the skull, forever defeating him once and for all. It is finished. Satan and his demons somehow should have seen it coming. The Scriptures are very clear. Yet somehow, Satan, this one who claims to be so smart, his minions which claim and have torn down many a champion, somehow they miss the memo. The Scriptures are clear, but Satan arrogantly or maybe ignorantly failed to pay attention God had in the very beginning told him and warned him in Genesis 3 and 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Isaiah had prophesied at the very beginning of the suffering servant song that we just read. He he started that song by saying, Behold, My servants shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. But somehow Satan missed the memo. Paul affirms that Satan in hell's fatal misunderstanding and miscalculation of the cross would never have happened had they known. He told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 2 and 8, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And so it was the cross that was the greatest reversal of fate in history. For those who had manipulated its coming to pass, unwittingly executed their own doom and demise. And Satan's worst would now accomplish God's best. For the cross was both the climatic culmination of God's plan of 
redemption. And it was his calculated defeat of Satan and death. John, the beloved John, in his first epistle, would write to the church and say, For this was the purpose of the Son of God manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Oh, the power of the cross. For it was in the end that that crown of thorns mockingly crushed into his skull as a sign of his certain defeat. It was at the cross that that crown of thorns became the victor's crown that celebrated his crushing defeat of Satan. The writer of Hebrews would write to the church in 2 and 9, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain or the author of their salvation perfect through sufferings. And then he continues on in what we started with our text this morning. In so much then, as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. We don't know a lot of the details of what happened between the cross and what happened between the resurrection, but we do know the results. Jesus descended into hell, Paul would write, and he took back what Adam had forfeited long ago. He seized power over death. If you would allow me this morning to imagine out loud because we do not know, Jesus kicked down the front gates of the place of Satan's abode. Call it hell if you would. He marched into the inner war room of hell as demons scattered and cowered in the corners. Finally, there was only one left standing and he had nowhere to flee. He was helpless to resist and helpless to run. Jesus offered no terms and there was no negotiating. He Satan had been utterly and completely vanquished and Jesus demanded and received an unconditional surrender. Shaking with shame, Satan stood totally humiliated before all his minions. He was powerless to say no. He could not resist. As Jesus said, I'll take that set of keys and then I'll take that set of keys and I think you've had possession just long Long enough, and then holding those keys in his hand of hell and of death, Jesus marched back out of those broken gates through the broken down walls, and he marched out as a triumphant king who wore the victor's crown. We know this because Jesus said it himself to John in Revelation 1 and 18. Jesus said, I am he that liveth. 
and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. And then on that third day, sometime before the break of dawn, Jesus just kept marching in the victory march. And he marched right up out of the tomb and back into time and space as the resurrected Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Paul, who would describe it this way, told the Colossians in two and the church of the Colossians in two and fourteen. Having wiped out all the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way and having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. It is the irony of the cross again that that sign that Pilate had mockingly had nailed to the cross, king of the Jews, that had in actuality what was meant as a farce and a facade actually became the screaming statement of an eternal truth that Jesus Christ was the universal king of heaven and of earth. He was the king of kings and he was the Lord of lords and he wore the victor's crown and through his death, And through his resurrection, you and I can understand from the word of God that he overcame sin and he overcame death and he overcame Satan and he overcame demons and he overcame sickness and he overcame every work of evil. For he was the king and he wore the victor's crown. Sin, sin, Sin that separates can no longer separate you and I from God. For Paul would tell the Romans in chapter 5, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us much more than having now been justified by his blood. We shall be saved from wrath Through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Sin has been overcome and now it can no longer separate. Disease can no longer work impeded, unimpeded in our bodies. For Peter would write that who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. 
Fear can no longer terrorize and hold hostage our hearts and minds. For John would write in his first epistle that love hath been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness now in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment there is a king and his name is Jesus and he wears the victor's crown and now the lies of eternal internal shame and external condemnation have been exposed for what they are for Paul would tell the Romans in chapter 8 there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit is life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And now death, that ultimate final weapon, that weapon used by Satan to badger and to forever separate humanity from God. And now death no longer has the final word. Death has been demystified and death has been defamed. For Paul told the Philippians that for me to live is Christ and to die is now Cain. And he told the Corinthians that rather to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord death has been demystified because now it cannot separate us from God but when we are absent from the potty we now can be present with the Lord why is all this possible I'll tell you why on an early Sunday morning because there's a king and his name is Jesus and he wears the victor's crown I know life's not fair and I know you have battles and I know there's fears and I know there's shame and I know addictions may be reality but I come to bear good news today there is a king and his name is Jesus and he wears the victor's crown he's the king he's the triumphant king And the greatest news today above all things is that this king is not at war with humanity. Though we were his enemies, he now offers us pardon and grace. And so I join in with the writer of Hebrews and tell us all, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Now, Jesus, he does not merely offer us to come and be servants in his kingdom. He does not merely offer us to become and be citizens in his eternal kingdom, but through the power of the cross and his eternal abiding spirit, Jesus, the king who wears the victor's crown, wants to adopt us as his sons and his daughters. Now we who were paupers and peasants of sin can become princes and 
and princesses of the almighty king of righteousness. We who had no hope now can live in hope. For Paul would say that the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs and heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Because as sons and as daughters, you and I have been granted the authority of his name. We've been empowered by his word and his spirit that we can live an overcoming life in this present world. I know, I know Satan has been utterly defeated, but he was not bound and he is still at work and somewhere we live in the interim between the cross and the final pit where Satan will be pound forever but in this interim of the kingdom of God that is already but not yet fully Satan is busy seeking whom he may devour he'll use every tactic to deceive he'll use every tactic to intimidate he'll use any false promise he can to try to convince you to join his shrinking kingdom. He and his minions will aggressively attempt to manipulate our circumstances and manipulate our struggles and manipulate even our suffering to convince us that God has abandoned us and to undermine our hope in Christ. But the devil is a liar and he's peddling a false story because there is a king and his name is Jesus and he wears the victor's crown. It's a lie that he's abandoned you. It's a lie that there's no hope. It's a lie that you can't be forgiven. It's a lie that you'll never be healed. It's a lie that your family can never be reconciled. It's a lie that you'll never be better. It's a lie that your family's always been and will always be. It's a lie because there is a truth and the truth is that there is a king and his name is Jesus and he wears the victor's crown he is the king and he promises sustaining an ultimate victory for those who choose to join him for Paul said now thanks be to God to the Corinthians who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place every place we place our foot it belongs to God and we can triumph there and we can be courageous there and we there in our triumph are a living witness that says there is a king and his name is Jesus and he wears the victor's crown. Paul would tell the Romans even more and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. What then in 31 shall we say to these things if God is for us who can 
be against us. We like to say it. We like to sing it. But oh, I wish today you'd pause and think about what that really means. There is a king and his name is Jesus. And he wears the victor's crown. And if the king be for you, then who can be against you? If the victor is on your side, then who can really be against you? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Paul says there's a king and his name is Jesus and he wears the victor's crown. Who is he who's going to condemn a son and daughter of the king? It is Christ who died and furthermore is risen and is even at the right hand of God and who makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril peril, peril or sword as it is written for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor death nor any other thing. I don't know what else to write Paul says so just whatever the other is I am persuaded that nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why Paul? Because there is a king and His name is Jesus, and he wears the victor's crown. And ultimately, in the end, in the end of all, when it all comes to a conclusion, it is that victor's crown that makes possible that when you and I step from time to eternity that there awaits a crown of righteousness and forever we will be with the Lord behold Paul told the Corinthians I tell you a mystery we shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where 
arise this morning to echo Paul's affirmation yet again. If God is for us, then who can be against us? If you're able, would you please stand? It's still early if you could hang and not be so quick to leave. Preacher, you don't understand the sins of my past. You don't understand the sins of my present. You you, you can't know. You can't know the shame that I live with. David? You haven't seen that doctor's report. It doesn't have your name on it. You're right. I may not know, and it may not have my name on it, but I know something that's a greater truth. There's a king, and his name is Jesus. You're not aware of the dire circumstances that I'm in. You don't know the fears I battle. You don't know the sleepless nights that I toss and turn. My family, my job, my health. You don't understand. Maybe so. But I understand a greater truth. There's a king, and his name is Jesus, and he wears the victor's crown. So if God is for us, then who can be against us? If God is fighting for us, So this morning we're going to pray and then we're going to come and I invite all to come, even our guests and friends. Make a move to an aisle. Maybe you're just comfortable going up a row because there's a king and his name is Jesus and he wears the victor's crown and whatever the other is that you're worried about, And whatever it is that's keeping you up at night and the shame you can't escape and the sin that you feel bound and addicted to and the genetics and the genealogy that seems to be arrayed against you and the reports that are not in your favor and the circumstances that are impossible that when we come as sons and daughters and we call upon His name all power heaven and in earth is in the name and as a son and daughter you have authority and you have power and you have permission to pray in his name and when you pray in his name you pray in the name of the victor and the supernatural can take place in your life 
And even if you're not a son and a daughter, you can simply take the first step boldly into his presence. It's called repentance. I'm sorry for my sin. I forsake it. I'll no longer be my own God, but I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want to be the son, and I want you to be the king because you wear the victor's crown. Would you close your eyes and would you join me in prayer? Jesus, thank you, Lord, that in this hour, in this very hour, you reign. In a morning service, you are triumphant. God, today, all power in heaven and in earth is given unto you. You are not defeated. You are not dead. You are the living God, the sovereign ruler, the omnipotent king. And you, oh God, wear today the victor's crown. And by the work of the cross and the power of the resurrection, I pray by the authority of your word that as we pray in your name, that whatever we pray that you would do and you would affirm in this place that you are the only living God and you are the victor over all. Let it be, I pray. We humble ourselves and we repent and we seek your face in the name of Jesus Christ. There is a king And his name is Jesus. And he wears the victor's crown. So if you stand in need, would you join me up front in an altar? And would you, as a son and daughter, would you call upon the name of the king? Would you come now? Would you join me in this place called the altar? If you're an altar worker, would you please join us? If you're a saint of God, would you join us? Come on, we're going to pray for ourselves but we're going to pray for one another. When you lay hands on someone in the name of Jesus Christ, after having asked them what they need prayer for, you have all power in heaven and in earth. Would you come? Would you press forward? It's still early. It's still early. Would you press forward? Would you make yourself come forward as close as you can? They're going to lead us in song. It's an uplifting song. It's a song of truth. It's about the name of Jesus. Let's call on His name. Would you lift up your voice now? Come on, son and daughter. Would you lift up your voice and cry out to the Father? Come on, son and daughter. Would you lift up your voice and call upon the name of the King? He wears the victor's crown. Come on, altar worker, elder, preacher, saint of God. Would you call upon the name of Jesus? And would you begin to pray one for another appropriately as you ask them what they have need of this morning. There's a king. His name is Jesus. And he wears a victor's crown. Let's lift up our voice. Come on, let's lift up our voice. In the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ. 